$5.3 billion. That is the current estimate of the budget gap the next mayor will have to close in her or his first year. The pandemic and the recession have wreaked havoc on New Yorkers in significant portions of the city economy. Projected revenues have been hit accordingly to the tune of $20 billion over five years. On the other hand, there's good chance that New York will receive significant federal aid and there are some signs that the economy is coming back. So how will the next mayor manage the budget? Those choices are critical to determining what New York's comeback looks like and how long it will take. And this isn't just about balancing some abstract numbers on a spreadsheet. It's about whether our schools will be worthy of our kids, our streets will be safe, our trash is picked up, how well we can take care of New Yorkers most in need, and will our taxes be competitive enough so that New Yorkers' businesses feel it is worth living in New York? So what will the next mayor do and focus on? Will it be spending control, tax increases, economic growth that hopefully generates city revenues, or federal aid? This was the focus of CBC's mayoral forum held February 24th, where eight leading contenders each spent 10 minutes presenting and delving into their approaches and plans, or sometimes not. So today, let's hear those plans from the candidates themselves. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. This is Ben Match from Gotham Gazette. And this is Andrew Ryan from the CBC. So we're talking the morning after CBC's mayoral forum with eight of the leading candidates. A very interesting event. Andrew put them uh, through the, the quick ringer about their fiscal plans and how they would address the city's uh, fiscal situation, budget gaps, spending, taxing, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, so in just a few minutes, after a little bit of conversation between Andrew and I, you're going to hear that forum where eight leading Democratic candidates for mayor talked about those plans they have, those ideas they have, and as Andrew said, in some instances, evaded the questions. Uh, but uh, Andrew, uh, let's talk just a little bit before folks hear from the candidates about you know what we both thought, uh, you moderating the forum and me watching it. Um, but tell tell people a little bit more about what you wanted to get out of this and, and what you asked the candidates. You know, we wanted to understand what their approach to balancing the budget. There's obviously the revenue side, that's taxes and aid, and there's the spending side. How much are you going to spend? Not surprisingly, during a campaign, there's a lot. There's a long list of programs everyone wants to uh, um, start. Not all of them have price tags associated. I'll say the min minority of them have price tags associated with them. And then there's lots of ideas on new revenues and taxes. Um, so that's what we want to get, how they would approach both sides of the budget. And as you said, this is a mayoral race unfolding in a very different situation than others we've had recently where there's a major fiscal crisis on our hands. This is not 2017, this is not 2013. There are always crises in the city, there's always major problems, but this is a very different situation than the last couple of races. Um, so that does change the conversation a little bit, right? It does make it much more urgent that candidates are thinking about how they will address budget deficits, not just what they wanna spend money on, but how they will come into office. And as you said to them, you're coming in in January, you pretty quickly have to start putting together your next your next budget, right? They have to be thinking about these things now and, and really outline what they want to do. Because if they do want to spend a whole bunch of money on, on new creative things or changing city government in big ways, they have to find it somewhere while closing a big budget. Certainly true. Now, most looked at it within the times, within the economy. So 
Um, there was a lot of talk of investing in the economy and growing and generating revenues. But I will say there's probably an overestimate on the impact that a mayor can have on growing the economy and an underestimate in the time it takes for those revenues to happen. So if they're coming in to, to office January 1st of next year, do they really believe that they can stimulate the economy to generate billions of dollars within the next six months? That's a question. But there was a lot of talk from Maya Wiley, Ray McGuire, Sean Donovan about these things. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I do think it's also noteworthy that I thought I thought some of the candidates were fairly sharp in some of the ways they described that there's so much that's up in the air that we don't know. And talking in February about the city's fiscal economic picture in January of 2022 is fairly challenging. That's not to let anybody off the hook to say they shouldn't have plans for closing, you know, let's say a $4 billion budget gap. But there is so much up in the air. You got at this a little bit in your intro. It came up a lot in the in the conversation around what's the size of the federal aid package that everybody's expecting soon? Um, what's the city economy going to look like? What impact does vaccination have on economic activity? Where does tourism fit in? There's so many unknowns. So it's sort of this balance of acknowledging the unknowns but then also saying, well, you have to really plan for these looming budget deficits that are very real, right? No, that, that's, that's certainly true. But when you hear from different candidates, more specifics about it, uh, about maybe a spending uh, a spending uh, program or a savings program or a tax program, you get a sense of where they're trying to go to and what is the magnitude. So yes, everyone hopes that federal aid is, is significant and will solve their first year budget problems. And it may well be significant, but it's actually going to come in under this current mayor who has been known to spend the money that has come into his coffers. Mm. So it's really a question about how much would be left over. Um, although Sean Donovan did say that there would be successive aid in future years. And I think Andrew Yang also talked talked yeah, about was, those hopes. That was optimistic. I don't, you know, we'll see about that. I mean, I obviously the Biden administration, Chuck Schumer's majority leader of the Senate, you know, they want to send a whole lot of money around to to many places, including New York. Yes, yes. I mean, I, it was interesting on the on the new spending side. The list of programs is long as I was preparing. It was pages and pages <laughs> long. I will say it was interesting on um, the, the, the piece on philanthropy. So Andrew Yang's um, position on universal basic income for um, New York City has turned into this borough bucks concept of recirculating money through the economy, which will be funded half by philanthropy and half by the city. Um, so it was interesting. And Sean Donovan talks about equity bonds for kids. He has a $3.2 billion price tag in the first year, but then actually went through the math to take us down to the half philanthropy of only a portion of it, half city, and suddenly you're at a half um, billion dollars. Although a half billion dollars seemed to come up a number of times. It, Everything seems big programs cost a half billion dollars, I guess. <laughs> it's a good good placeholder, I guess, to you have to get actually very real about it. You know, I, I mean, I did think that some candidates more than others, and folks can hear this for themselves, they can also read our, our recap at Gotham Gazette of the forum. You know, some candidates more than others really wanted, I think, to show you, to show the hundreds watching, to show the city that they're being thoughtful about how they would close a significant budget gap. There were some candidates who came in and said, okay. I'd find a billion here, a billion and a half here, another billion here, five hundred million here, and they and they got to four billion. You know, they got to they got to the you know general area of of closing one of these large budget deficits. But to your point, 
Yeah, there are also major structural things at play here. This is not just about filling one or two year budget deficits. There are major structural issues that were even at play before this COVID recession hit um, around, you know, sort of the city's runaway spending. The, the revenues were supporting it, but it was, you know, in somewhat dangerous territory, as we've seen when a crisis hit, uh, how the spending relates to the reserves that are in place. Um, you know, so some of these things that you wound up asking about are, are sort of uh, conjoined with how, how they would address the budget deficits they'll likely be facing, but there are much more sort of structural issues at play. And, and I think we also saw that on the revenue side, on the tax side, mm-hmm. there were, there was, you know, um, there were discussions such as Ray McGuire and um, Eric Adams about a temporary tax increase on, on the wealthy. And Sean Donovan um, too, I think, yeah. And Sean Donovan too yeah. on temporary. On the other side, we have Diane Morales, uh, Maya Wiley and Scott Stringer um, supporting among other things, the Invest in New York Act, which is really a package of, of proposed state tax increases on high income earners, Wall Street, wealth, heirs tax, capital gains, corporate tax. So they've all endorsed this package. Now, what that means for the city in terms of dollars and which taxes, no one chose to be um, specific about it, but they really have said that that should be part of the long run structural change to our finances in the city. Mm-hmm. So um, you're going to hear from the candidates in just a minute, uh, folks, but just just to be clear, the candidates who participated, we've, I think, said almost all of their names so far, but it was Maya Wiley, Catherine Garcia, Andrew Yang, Diane Morales, Eric Adams, Ray McGuire, Scott Stringer, and Sean Donovan. And these are eight of the top Democrats running in this June's primary. All right. So, Andrew, you you kind of really tried to get them on the record. Uh, and I thought it was, you know, as someone who's moderated a couple of these things and interviewed these candidates a bunch, I thought, you know, you did a great job of really pressing them to take clear stances on things. Some of them still evaded you, but that happens to the best of us. Um, but you got them, you got them as a group sort of generally on the record about a bunch of stuff. So as we know, the city before this administration had an annual PEG program or even more than once a year. So I asked them, would you institute a PEG program and how often? And seven out of eight candidates said they would institute a PEG program with one candidate talking about savings um, and conjoined with that. Do you think the workforce is the right size now should be smaller or larger? And, and five candidates said that the workforce should shrink. Um, and three said it should stay about the same. I will say, since we didn't mention much about Catherine Garcia, she um, showed her operational bona fides when she talked about um, in the savings discussion that overtime is more costly than hiring. So when you're thinking about headcount, you have to think about this calculation because it's about spending the money, not about how many people are there. So uh, demonstrating again where she came from. And um, and what else did you get them on? You so you got them you got them on peg uh, you got them on head count. Those are I very- also and attrition was really the focus. I think people um, the candidates almost all of them when talking about head count said attrition. There shouldn't be layoffs. It was a mantra heard as much as anything again and again. But we also I asked them about a rainy day fund whether they would support a legal requirement for an annual deposit to a rainy day fund when the economy was growing and eight for eight said that they supported a rainy day fund. A couple, you know, danced around the legal requirement, but it was really eight for eight, which is wonderful. And and whoever gets uh, into office, hopefully they do that. I will say Andrew Yang in his most, in one of the most present moments in the whole debate, thought for a second, said legal. 
and when the economy is growing. And he actually in real time reflected on that, which I thought was um, an important thing. I'm sure mm -hmm. all the candidates um, could do that. And, and saying that it was a lightning round stopped most of them from doing it. But he did reflect. Right. And I thought that was an important piece. I also, you know, asked them, uh, not all of them, about raises for the city workforce, because there are no raises in the city budget in the future of the city workforce. And we have big budget gaps. And I asked them, well, would you um, would you um, provide raises, even though you have budget gaps and no way to pay for them? Or would you wait for a way to pay for them? And two, importantly, two of the candidates said, I would support raises that are funded by productivity or other changes in the contracts. And I think that's an important concept. And I think it was um, interesting to hear two of the candidates say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that this is one of the things that, um, you know, is often not discussed other than in some of the union uh, endorsement vetting, I think. But, you know, one of the mayor's most important jobs is settling these labor contracts and, you know, keeping the workforce productive, keeping the workforce well taken care of. But that was that was interesting to hear because I hadn't quite, I don't think, I don't think I'd heard them ask about that really uh, yet in the, in the campaign. I've asked a couple of candidates about whether they would support having having um, municipal employees start paying towards their healthcare premiums. And I've gotten some, some yeses and some noes. I think Andrew Yang said very clearly that he thinks it's important to have some uh, some of that payments are happening. So that's, that's a position he's staking out that I think is different than just about everybody else I've, I've gotten on that question. Yes, no, he, he did call call that out um, last night, which was um, non-solicited and, and certainly a position CBC has held. Mm -hmm. All right, any other highlights we should tell people before they hear from the candidates? Well, you know, I, I will say um, two more. One is Diane Morales talked about um, when there's discussions about the budget, what the poor here is that they're going to get hit. And I thought that was an important context in this budget because we there is a social compact that has to happen in New York um, among people for us to be most productive, um, both in budget discussions and as an, as an economy and as a social um, organization. So I thought that was an important and it was kind of conjoined or, or joined by two other candidates talking about if we're going to raise taxes, it will be okay if we provide good services. And the social compact between those two um, was also important. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, both Ray McGuire and Maya Wiley, if I remember correctly, were pretty clear about that. I think other candidates have, have addressed it too. But, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. Ray McGuire is of, uh, is of and among, you know, the wealthy and talked about, you know, that folks like him who have a lot of resources are willing to pay more to be in New York City if services are good, quality of life is good. Maya Wiley, interestingly enough, said she's been having a lot of conversations with, with wealthy people about the balance of, of all these things. Yeah. And the last, the last question I did ask them was about New York City, music, food, or sports, and they got to choose. I will say most candidates chose food and pizza, one out of my list, but yes. two chose Mofongo. Yeah. which I think was was a dark horse. One chose music and I listed New York City genres and we got disco from Eric Adams. Yeah, that was fun. And, and when I asked what was more exciting, Linsanity or John Starks, I got one one Linsanity and, and Scott Stringer being a very experienced politician in New York, thought about Linsanity and John Starks and just said the Knicks. Yes, that was a, that was a very Scott Stringer, very diplomatic answer there. Hi, welcome. Thanks for being here, Maya. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I'm excited to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, 
please allow me just to refresh around our process. We're gonna spend 10 minutes together to delve into how you plan to manage the budget. We'll start with, I'll ask a question. You'll have four minutes to talk to you about your general approach and specific plans. And then I'll ask some follow-up questions for another four minutes. And then there'll be a two minute lightning round. Um, we're gonna try to keep to time. So you and I are here beeps around 30 seconds between before each segment's supposed to end. So we can do our best to keep to time. Sound good? Sounds great. Okay, I'll let, let's jump in. New York City faces significant fiscal challenges. Additional federal aid is gonna help in the short term, but will not solve the long-term budget gap. The city's preliminary budget is $1 billion short next year, and New York City faces recurring budget gaps exceeding 5 billion in the next three years. And the city and state controllers came out just yesterday saying those might be understated by one to $3 billion. So please share with us, how do you plan to manage the spending, identify savings and work with labor um, and address taxes. And please specify three actions you would take to close the recurring $5 billion budget gaps. And what's the single most important thing to stabilizing the city's finances? Well, thank you. I, I just wanna start by saying that I have based my plan and my program on what we have learned in history, which is that when we are in economic crisis, we have to find a way to invest in our people, put dollars in our pockets and make sure that we are stimulating the economy. And I've been very attentive as a candidate, both to the fact that we are in a deep hole and this is an historic crisis like none other. Uh, and we have to confront that, be honest about that, and understand that we're even looking at losing even potentially a third of our small businesses, which is literally over 50% of our jobs, not to mention how we decimated, uh, in, how we're decimated in tourism, nightlife, hospitality. We could go on and on. I know you in the audience already know this problem, but I take it very seriously, which means every single thing that I'm about to say, Andrew, has been looked at from the perspective of not just what the city can do without regard to uh, both with regard to Albany and Washington, but also without regard to it. What we can do is a city that's stimulative. So I'm going to start with what's stimulative. And I've stress tested this uh, not just within my own team, but with experts and economists, including those outside of New York City, because I believe in being responsible and stress testing. So the first is stimulate, stimulate, stimulate. This is what we learned in the Obama administration after the Great Recession as well. But what we're going to do is spend $10 billion in capital construction. Uh, we spend roughly $8 billion a year as is, so we're going to add another $2 billion. But we're going to focus that spend. It's going to create 100,000 new jobs. That's 30,000 direct and 70,000 indirect. A lot of the jobs we know are going to be good jobs, well-paying jobs, jobs with benefits. But what that's also going to enable us to do uh, is do some lo local targeted hiring, because as we know, we have some communities that have significantly higher unemployment rates than others and parts of the economy that have been decimated. We're going to look at how it helps artists and creatives as well, because that's an important part of our economy. But it's also going to help us solve local problems for the long term. For example, we've got $2 billion of that $10 billion earmarked for renovation and rehabilitation of NYCHA. That's critically important in terms of affordable housing as well as our humanitarian needs. But let's go to another category, right? That's one. In caring economy, we're also going to create community care centers, $5,000 in uh, grants to families that are 100,000 lowest income families, that puts money in their pockets to care for families, but also helps them put money and spend money back in the economy. 
The second bucket, which is critically important, is we've got to recognize, yes, we have to be more efficient, more effective, and also cut some costs in government, right? So that's a bucket that's extremely important. But let me just give you a couple of examples. First of all, I would have pegs. I would have pegs. I will have each agency come to me giving me a percentage of cuts. Let's say it's 3%. This is a bit of a moving target over the course of the next year for the next mayor, but I'm going to say 3% for now. But I'm also going to stress test what I'm seeing and being presented in the way of cuts because we can't be cutting garbage collection, right? That's a critical part of economic recovery, of, in, of instilling confidence, of having tourism return, uh, projecting that this is a city coming back. Uh, but we also want to make sure we're not avoiding and taking paths of least resistance and cuts that aren't actually smart cuts, right? Because we do want to be effective so, and more efficient. So let me uh, delve into some of the things you said. So you come in January 1st and you have three weeks to deliver a budget that closes a $5 billion gap. How quickly do you really think that those stimulative effects can happen? Because you have six months till that year happens and you're talking about 5 billion, you're talking about 8% tax increase, 8% revenue increase in the first year. That's obviously not realistic. So how quickly does that stimulus effect have impact on revenues? So, so to, let's back up to one point because this is an important question you're asking. I mean, the first is that the third bucket that's important is working on revenue. And there are lots of different ways the city does it that's more direct. And I would support revenue from Albany and from Washington. It's a moving target. There's a lot that's going to happen in the course, just even of the next year that we're going to have to take into account. But this is why the pegs matter. This is why looking at efficiency and effectiveness of government matters. Let's just take one example that's very concrete. Uh, we know that we're leaving probably 500 million to a billion dollars on the table right now. Uh, because we have uh, in Medicaid reimbursements, because we have nursing both in DOHMH, our Department of Health, and in, in DOE. And as a result of some of the back office inefficiencies there, we're not getting all the money we should be getting and that we're entitled to. That's the kind of way I'm going to look at both efficiency and effectiveness. It's also the way I'm going to look at how we're making sure that when we are doing budget cuts, we're cutting fat and not bone. And I'm gonna take for some of that stimulative investment, I'm gonna take some of that from some of where we have fat in agencies, including the NYPD. So can we talk a little about working with labor to create savings? Um, is this one of your priorities to work with labor? Or do you think there's another way to do it? And how would you do it? Yeah, I, I think it's critically important to partner with labor to do it. And let me give you one concrete example that I'm working on with experts right now, healthcare costs. I mean, this is a huge part of what we have to confront when we're talking about budget gaps. And the city has an incredible bargaining power because we have 1.25 million people where, that we're paying for insurance for. We also have examples of where private unions have been quite effective at controlling costs. We've got to get smarter. We've got to partner. That also means we can do some collaborative work on negotiating to bring costs down. I would approach it very much as a manager in the same way that we have you know, health funds approaching this, looking month to month at costs, looking where and how some city services, we're paying more for at one hospital than we are at another hospital for the exact same services, being transparent about that cost and also using collective bargaining to bring down prescri prescription drug prices. Because we, as we know, it's prescription drugs, it's dollars and doctors and it's hospitalization. We can be much more effective and efficient in partnership.
So last quick question on taxes. You support the Invest in New York Act and have other tax increases. And I'll read you the list, which is the higher earner income tax, the capital gains tax, wealth tax, heirs tax, beatitary tax, vacancy tax, management tax. Which would you raise and how much in aggregate are you talking about raising taxes? So I do support the Invest in New York Act. And let me just say quickly that what we know, and again, there's going to be a moving target over the course of the next year. So we have to recognize that. And it'll adjust depending on what we're seeing, even in the course of the next few months, because we're going to see a lot more from Washington and there are going to be a lot more negotiations in the state house. But one thing I will stay, and let's just look at New Jersey right now, where we already see wealth paying a higher marginal tax rate, and the governor's just reporting a balanced budget in the news today. That is good news, and that is something we should take very seriously that shows the road for New York. Yes, no, they did increase their, their personal income tax to 12%. Of course, our current marginal tax rate combined state and city is 12696. So I'm assuming if we raise it, you would raise it higher than that. Yes, and I would say that you know, we also have to fight with the federal government to get back the tax deductions that we used to have that Donald Trump took away. That's extremely important to the state uh, and to the city. Uh, but look, you know, when we, one of the things I've done is had a lot of conversations with a lot of wealthy New Yorkers. And the one thing I consistently hear is that Maya, if you share with us a plan for what our money will do, and we know that it improves our schools, that it's gonna help with public transit, we're willing to pay more, but we wanna see managerial leadership, we wanna see partnership, and I think that's fair. I think that's a reasonable request and I will do it. Okay, let's shoot to our lightning round if we can. So could you share three words with our audience on why they, they should elect you to raise and manage their $95 billion, three words. I have experience. Okay. You've already said that you'd set targets on a regular basis to, um, for agencies to propose pegs. Um, would you support a legal requirement that the city deposit money into a rainy day fund each year when the economy is growing? I'm all for that rainy day fund. The city now has 20,000 more employees than it did at the beginning of the current administration, although it's down 10,000 from its peak. Do you, from here, do you think the city should increase or decrease headcount? I think we should focus on what we need to deliver for New Yorkers and how we deliver it effectively. I've already talked about headcount cuts at NYPD that's gonna help resource some of the investments that will help us bring our economy back. We're gonna look at it and work it with, and that's the way I'm gonna approach it. The budget includes no future raises for city workers. Would you grant raises even though there currently are gaps or would you wait until you found a way to pay for them? Look, you know, this is a partnership with labor and uh, going through the PEG process and budget process with our partners and with city government. And I will do that. And I will take a serious look at what we need to do to make sure that we are economically sound, fiscally responsible, and that we're making sure we're taking care of our folks. And so that includes jobs that pay. But that's going to be a conversation and a negotiation. Please, for our last, please choose a topic. New York City, music, food or sports? Oh, this is a hard one, but I can't help it. I'm going to pick food. You're going to pick food. Your favorite New York City food. Pizza, dumplings, patties, tostones, mofongo, or street meat. Oh, my God, that's hard because I like them all. But I'm going to go with mofongo because I love me some mofongo. Okay, good. Well, thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. Really appreciate you coming here today. Thank you for having me. It was a joy. I really enjoyed it. Take care. And please stay tuned for our next candidate, um, Catherine Garcia. Catherine, welcome. It's good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Andrew? 
Good, thanks for joining us. Um, let me just uh, do a little refresher on the process and then jump in if that's okay. We're gonna have 10 minutes to delve into your plans to manage the budget. We'll start with a question on managing the budget. You'll have up to four minutes to respond. Then I'll follow up with questions for another four minutes. We'll have a conversation and then we'll have a two minute lightning round. We're gonna keep to time. So you'll hear a beep around 30 seconds between each before each segment ends. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay, fantastic. Um, New York City faces significant fiscal challenges. Additional federal aid is gonna help in the short term, but will not solve the long-term structural gap. The city's preliminary budget is $1 billion short next year, and New York City faces recurring budget gaps exceeding $5 billion in each of the next three years. And the city and state controllers just yesterday came out and said there are risks that mean that might be one to $3 billion higher. So um, how do you plan to manage spending and identify savings and work with labor and address taxes. Please specify three actions you would take to close the recurring budget gaps and the one area most important to um, stabilizing the city's finances over the long term. You know, we have to refinance all of our debt uh, when we're talking about being in a low interest rate environment. We have to sit down with labor and get savings from labor. Um, and we need to reduce some of the redundancies that you see in city government and inefficiencies. You know, and to name two, uh, we have about three mayor's offices that do things related to IT. And we have a department uh, that doesn't make any sense. And then with education, we know that there's been an enormous amount, probably on the tune of $50 million in just overhead uh, at central office that can be reduced. So could you then, let, let's try to look at this. You walk in your first day and your budget director comes and says, you have $5 billion. Mm -hmm. Can you try to identify the components of that $5 billion for us? Yeah, I, I, I believe that we can get several hundred million from, well, hopefully we're getting some from the feds. I'm just gonna start with, hopefully this is not as bad as that. Um, and that we all are looking better, but you know, we're gonna have to do a big piece of it will be debt savings. Um, and then a big piece of it will be that certain agencies are going to have to reduce their budgets. You know, when I was at DEP, I reduced the budget, the operating budget by 10% without a layoff um, by looking at things that are in our control, like procurement, uh, how we manage our operations, uh, you know, how we ensure that we are repairing things that need to be repaired in a timely fashion that actually saved money, real dollars. And do you have a general sense of what the inefficiency across the board would be? What your sense is that 10% that you cited, do you think that's citywide or what do you think is the inefficiency that could be wrung out of the system? And how would you do that? No, I, I think that we're probably uh, like closer to a 5%, uh, but I do believe that there are certain agencies that could get much thinner. Uh, just even in when I was running food, the amount that I ended up paying for food for seniors was significantly less than what the Department for the Aging had been paying uh, for the same nutritional quality. Uh, so, you know, there are clearly ways where some folks are just better at that piece of the administration than others. And, and now you've talked about a number of new programs and I'm curious, you've talked about free childcare for kids one to three for families earning less than 70,000 mandatory organic pickup, mm -hmm. um, also affordable housing and supportive housing units, which have operating costs. What are your top priorities on these? Since no mayor gets to do everything, what are the top priorities and how much does each of them cost? And how does this fit into the fiscal picture? 
Well, we know that we have to do the thing we didn't do in the 70s, which is keep the city safe and clean. And we learned during the pandemic that parks was a huge part of that. Um, and so we know that there was a $100 million cut from DSNY's budget. There was an $84 million cut from the parks' budget. I would restore those, uh, ensuring that we are meeting our core service needs. Um, but how do you pay for it? Which is always, always the question. Um, but we can continue to reduce spending on in other areas uh, to ensure that we meet that. And so um, let's talk about working with labor. You, you know, whether it be at sanitation or at NYCHA, um, uh, you've worked with uh, labor for a long time in your, in your career. Um, how important is it to the budgetary savings and the efficiencies to work with labor? And what has your experience taught you? Because quite frankly, it's been a long time since we've done productivity bargaining much in this city. I mean, sanitation, the roots are still, you know, constrained by collective bargaining agreements. We know that at NYCHA, we are constrained by having um, work shifts that don't match when people um, can actually get into apartments, yet we paid to change those work sh shifts and it was kind of a disaster. So what experience do you bring and how would you make this better? Yeah, no, it's, it, you have to work with labor because uh, they are the ones who actually end up doing the job. Uh, and so when you are collaborative, you can find savings, which has historically been done, obviously, at the Department of Sanitation. I think Harvard Business School has a case study on it. Um, uh, but you also know that you have to do it right. You can't make a deal that isn't going to result in real savings and you can't pay people out for savings that don't occur, uh, which is more or less what happened at NYCHA. They didn't plan it well. Uh, and so it didn't end up working. Uh, they didn't have enough supervision, uh, to make it actually function. But, you know, one of the other things is, and I'm sure we'll get into this, you know, when you reduce headcount. Sometimes that can be penny-wise and pound-foolish because particularly for portions of the budget that are posted positions, meaning you're gonna send a truck out regardless. You're either gonna send them on regular time or you're gonna send them out on overtime and overtime's gonna cost you twice as much. And so hiring new people would actually have made more sense. So you mentioned federal aid before. There's good optimism for a decent amount of federal aid. Um, First of all, do you expect that the current administration would spend $5 billion of aid before the next administration starts, or do you think there will be some left? Oh, I think that there will be some left. I mean, we need to ensure that we are being efficient as we move forward. There will be costs. Uh, we know that children need to go back to school in September. There will be needs there. Uh, we know that there is still an ongoing health care crisis in the city. Uh, but I do believe that we inherently need to be more efficient in how we deliver services. Uh, and I assume you as well as I will be pressuring this administration to make sure that they don't uh, uh, sort of light the cash on fire. So you have $5 billion maybe comes from the Fed. What is your guideline? What's the smart use of, of federal relief of $5 billion? The smart use is how do we use that to incentivize our economy going forward? Uh, we need to grow. Uh, that is part of what gets us out of this, which is means strategic investments in working with the private sector to provide low interest loans to our restaurants and to our small businesses. We need them back. They are a huge generator of employment. Um, 
But we also need to be looking to the long term around what infrastructure do we need? We should be building things during this time because it will be cheaper. Uh, last time the, the, we had a downturn during the Great Recession, the engineering cost estimate versus the bid, the bid was 50% lower. Uh, this is the time where you need to make those strategic investments, particularly in climate infrastructure, as well as obviously our water and sewer infrastructure and our roads and bridges. In your housing affordability plan, you, you talked about taking over in-rem properties and, and, and using that as part. Now, New York City has a history of challenges with taking over in-rem properties and deterioration and managing them. And as you know, from your NYCHA experiencing, managing scatter site properties is very challenging. Um, what makes you think if we do it in, uh, again, that it will turn out differently? Uh so I'm not really sure that I would take over in rim. I said that we would look at conversions of hotels. Okay, I'm sorry then. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Cause I actually don't think we're great at in rim housing. And I think that that has worked well when we have used the uh, tax lien sale process and ended up putting it in the hands of either nonprofit or for-profit developers. Um, but I have said that we need to create you know, 50,000 units of low-income housing and 10,000 units of supportive housing. Affordability is a key thing that is constraining us at this moment on bringing young people into our economy and making it so that we're a vibrant place to live. So let's turn to our lightning round if we can. So you would set um, regular targets on a regular basis for a PEG program. How big would those targets be? I'm talking looking literally between three and 5%. Would you support a legal requirement that the city deposit money into a rainy day fund each year when the economy is growing? Oh, of course. Um, we're 20,000, we have 20,000 more employees than we did at the beginning of the administration, but we're down 10,000 employees. Should we have more or less headcount than where we are now? It depends on, on what we are trying to achieve. There are places where I think we need to actually grow the headcount because I think it'd be cheaper, uh, but there are also places where I know there are efficiencies and redundancies that we could reduce. The budget includes no future raises for city workers. Would you grant raises even though there currently are budget gaps or wait until you have found a way to pay for them? Oh, you need to be able to pay for them, but you also need to work with labor. And if they can come up with the ways to do productivity savings to pay for them, I'd be very open to that. So you support raises funded with productivity. For our last question, please choose the topic of New York City music, food, or sports. Ooh, I'm gonna go food. You're gonna go food, your favorite New York City food, pizza, dumplings, patties, tostones, mofongo, or street meat. Oh, that's pizza. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. Square or round? Oh, round. And you're, you're Brooklyn. I won't put you in the DeFara, you know, Spumoni Garden um, no, problem. I'm a garden person, though. The, the best thing about doing that and saying it publicly is that then I get invited to pizza places in other boroughs. Uh, and I'm forced to partake and it's- Well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we could help in some way. Well, yeah. thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming here and please stay tuned for our next candidate, Andrew Yang. Thank you, take care. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry, you beat me to the punch, Andrew. Thank you very much for being here. It's a pleasure, Andrew. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. I, I admire your work a great deal. Well, thank you very much. I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate that much. I was gonna say, I appreciate your name, but hey. Um, so why don't I just uh, go over kind of how we're going to run the session and then jump right in. It sounds good. Sure. So the, the process is we're going to spend 10 minutes together. 
because um, CBC is nothing if not about efficiency. Um, four minutes about um, managing the budget. I'll ask you a question. You'll have four minutes to answer. Then I'll ask some follow-up questions for four minutes and then a two-minute lightning round. And we'll hear beeps around 30 seconds before the end of each segment to keep us to time. Sounds good? Yes. Okay, so the first question, um, New York City faces significant fiscal challenges. Additional federal aid will help in the short term, but will not solve the long-term structural gap. The city's preliminary budget is $1 billion short just next year. And then there are gaps $5 billion in each of the next three years. And the city and state controllers came out just yesterday saying those gaps could be one to $3 billion bigger. So how do you plan to manage spending, identify savings, work with labor and address taxes? And please specify three actions you would take to close the recurring $5 billion budget gaps. Uh, thank you, Andrew. First, uh, thank you to CBC uh, for all that you do. Um, we have red ink as far as the eye can see. Uh, and I, I think anyone uh, reasonable knows that. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the numbers that you all may already know, but these are the numbers that have stuck with me. We're missing 700,000 jobs. We've lost 27,000 lives. 300,000 families have left New York City, including some very high earners. Uh, Midtown Manhattan's 82% vacant right now. Thousands of small businesses, 60 million missing tourists. So you add it all up and it's a lot of writing for, uh, for, for quite a while. Um, and the challenge is to try and get our recovery going faster uh, and invest smart while cutting costs simultaneously. So when you talk about the, the three things I would do either for growing revenue or managing expenses, on the revenue side, and I do think we, we do need to be seeking revenue opportunities. Um, first, you mentioned it, we need to get our fair share from the feds and this is the big opportunity right now. I mean, uh, Chuck Schumer's Senate Majority Leader, $1.9 trillion. Uh, the case has to be made that there is no national recovery without a New York City recovery. We are almost 10% of the entire country's economy. We're the financial center, the commercial center, the cultural center. Um, so that's job number one is try and find growth paths that way. Um, there is a, another revenue opportunity that I would say is in the low hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and uh, this is around trying to get property tax exempt uh, institutions in New York City to pay their fair share. Um, so this could be MSG's $40 million tax break. That makes no sense. Uh, this could be Columbia University um, when it buys a new apartment building. All of a sudden, we don't get any property tax on that. Uh, and uh, they're still getting fire department and uh, police department services. So I think that these institutions, especially an institution like Columbia, where frankly, they're benefiting to the tune of like, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars a year from the property tax exemption. And this has happened in many communities where you go, look, not going to get rid of your exemption, but you have to pay in for some of the services you're enjoying. Uh, and then um, if you... Um, have a good negotiation with a number of those institutions, you can get um, uh, low hundreds of millions. Uh, the next big one is you have to try and manage employee attrition of the city agencies. Um, and you don't want to resort to layoffs um, if you can help it, because layoffs are very destructive um, uh, on, a, 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 on a bunch of levels. Um, but Attrition is something that we should be pursuing, we should be managing, uh, that there is some bloat for sure in the, in the city's budget. I'm going to suggest that our current mayor is not a very disciplined operator. And so if you put a non-disciplined operator in charge of a very large sprawling set of organizations for a while, you're going to find a lot of waste, a lot of inefficiency. Um, so if we manage attrition, we should be able to generate uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in savings. Um, and, and then uh, to me, the other major opportunities are around benefit rationalization. Um, uh, I, I think that in this day and age, uh, people receiving uh, healthcare benefits with no employee pay-in um, is just not 
excellent policy because uh, having folks uh, feel like they're getting value, often it's helpful for them to be paying something in. Um, uh, and um, I do think the city should be um, it should be considering things like a pied terre tax that would generate hundreds of millions of dollars. So I think I gave four suggestions, um, uh, but but there, there are some of the a surplus of suggestions is always welcome. Let's but, try to do do the math if we if we could if that's okay. Sure thing. Um, so federal stimulus is going to come out soon. Estimate of five point six billion dollars. Some of that will be used by the current administration. So. Looking, looking 16 months down the road, I'm not sure how much will be available for that next $5 billion gap. But for a sense of purposes, let's say you have a billion for that. Let's say you have a few hundred million for the tax exemptions, a few hundred millions for attrition, benefit rationalization. You've probably gotten up to, you know, two and a half billion dollars. What do you think is the rest of that nut that, that you can get? So the, the very big opportunity, but this is longer term, Andrew, um, uh, I think one of the things that's holding our city back and also could be a massive um, opportunity is property tax reform. Um, right now, there are property owners in parts of Brooklyn that are paying seven times the effective property tax uh, as uh, landowners um, in Manhattan that, are, are, that own luxury condos. And the, the entire property tax pie is very, very significant. Um, where, where you're looking at tens of billions of dollars. Um, if you have intelligent reform, I believe it will actually make our economy much more dynamic because right now those property taxes are taking money out of the hands of households that might spend it. Um, it it's not incentivizing development in effective ways. Um, so to me, this is a billion dollar opportunity um, in terms of both direct revenue and uh, I think in terms of value that gets unlocked for the city. Um, now, I, I so suggested this sort of later in the list uh, because even optimistically, property tax reform will not um, be uh, kicking off uh, significant revenue for the first one to two years. Like your best case might be that by the end of your first term, you're starting to see some of those values. Uh, but I, I agree with you that um, for the interim one to two years, and I actually am more optimistic than you are on the level of uh, federal aid that, that we can expect. I've spoken to um, Senate Majority Leader Schumer. I've spoken to a number of members of Congress. They do not think this $1.9 trillion um, package is the end of it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, so if, if I may, if I may, we haven't talked about some of your programs that you want to initiate, universal basic income, a Green New Deal for NYCHA, expansion of fair fares, um, city takeover of transit. Um, I think the universal basic income has a price tag of about a billion dollars. We're having trouble closing the, the budget gap and suddenly we're adding a, tr uh, a billion dollars for universal basic income. How much would all these programs add up together and, and how would you fund them? Um, so I'll start with the cash relief program. Uh, so we've committed a billion dollars in cash relief. I think there are different ways that we can get there. I've talked to various philanthropists who are very interested in this because they've converted from services to cash. Um, uh, and so uh, I think there will be an appetite to uh, um, help augment the resources we're giving to cash relief. Um, and, I, and this is going to be very detailed, so please bear with me. Um, one of the problems we have is that small businesses around the city are closing in very high numbers. I've run a small business in New York City. That's one reason why I'm good at uh, making these numbers work is because if you ever run a small business, <laughs> you, know, like, you make the numbers work and you make more money than you spend. Um, so uh, how are we going to help some of these small businesses stay open while alleviating extreme poverty that is driving um, social issues, homelessness, um, crime in some cases, uh, and holding back our recovery? 
Um, so my plan is to implement this cash relief in the form of a localized currency called borough bucks. Um, if New York City's metro area were a country, we would be the 11th biggest economy in the world. Um, and there are already localized currencies being used in our city. Um, so the example I'm going to use is that in um, Brooklyn, there are yeshiva schools that are asking parents to spend $2,000 on vouchers for small businesses that are in the community. So I'm a parent, I buy the vouchers, I then use the vouchers at the small businesses. The small businesses turn the vouchers into the yeshiva school um, and they get the $2,000 with a 15% haircut. So this is a major fundraiser for the yeshiva. It's a win for the small businesses because they're getting spending they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. How is this relevant to my borough bucks universal basic income? It's not universal basic income. It's actually just like a guaranteed like um, minimum. Um, so the plan is to put borough bucks into the hands uh, of um, indigent New Yorkers that can be spent at local small businesses. Um, so then the, the money that we're putting in their hands goes to local small businesses and then circulates multiple times within the community in various ways. It can be redeemed with the city at a discount, but because it'll be redeemed at a discount, the incentive will be for them to spend it at other small businesses. And does the city, is any city money going into this or is this all foundation money? Um, so there will be some city money going into this. Like my, in my mind's eye, it's something like one-to-one. Um, so it, like the city puts down, uh, you know, like uh, half, half billion dollars, half, half billion dollars, then we get half billion dollars. And um, so, uh, yeah, and I've talked to philanthropists who are already expressing interest. And so let's, if we can, turn to our lightning round, okay? Sure thing. Um, um, would you set targets on a regular basis for agencies to propose savings a PEG program? And how big would that target be? Yes, um, it would depend upon the, the agency for sure. Um, but you'd want it to be significant because you need managers to identify the fat uh, and then even start identifying which piece of flesh they can do without if it comes to that. Would you support a legal requirement that the city deposit money into a rainy day fund each year when the economy is growing? <laughs> when the economy is growing? I mean, I, I, would, be, I would love to do that, um, but my precondition would be that the economy is back at pre-COVID levels. And at that point, would you have a legal requirement set to that? Would you, you support know, that? Um, I think that there should be a rainy day fund and I, I would support a, a requirement the, to fund it. The, the, the city has 20,000 more employees than at the beginning of the administration, but 10,000 down from its peak. Do you think it should be higher or lower than it is now? Um, I, I think that it's uh, a certainty that our headcount is going to drop from its current level. Um, would, um, let's go to our last question. I heard the beep. So please choose a topic. This one's of your choosing New York City music, food, or sports? Um, sports. <laughs> more, more exciting, Lynn Sanity or John Starks? You, oh my gosh, I was going to say Lynn Sanity because, uh, you know, I'm Asian <laughs> and it was the greatest thing in, in sports history, but then John Starks was my childhood idol. But I will still go with Lynn Sanity by a hair. Okay, thank you very much. With that as the last word, we appreciate you coming. And please stay tuned for our next candidate coming up very soon. Thank you, CBC. Diane Ross, thank you so much. I'm sorry for the delay. You know, you know these no technical worries. things, we do the best we can. No worries at all. It is the definitely the age of Zoom. So I, no problem at all. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, Welcome, thanks for being here. I wanna just give a little refresher on the process so we're both on the same page and jump right in. Um, we're gonna have 10 minutes together to talk about how you plan to manage the budget. We'll start with a question that I'll ask. You'll have up to four minutes to answer. Then I'll ask some follow-up questions for four minutes and then a, a, um, a lightning round for two minutes. We'll hear beeps okay. giving us 30 second warnings before the end. How does that sound? 
Sounds great. Let's do it. Sounds like speed, speed budget talk. <laughs> so the first question, New York City faces significant fiscal challenges. Additional federal aid would help in the short term, but won't solve the long-term structural problems. Mm-hmm. The city's preliminary budget is $1 billion short that next year, and there are recurring budget gaps of $5 billion in each of the subsequent three years, and the city and state controllers say that those might be understated by one to $3 billion. So how do you plan to manage spending, identify savings, work with labor, and address taxes? And please specify three actions you would take to close those $5 billion recurring gaps. Great. Um, so let me just start off, but let me lay a little groundwork here. Um, you know, mine are bold and, and radically different approaches to, to respond to what I believe is a radically different time. You know, I, I think we are at a crossroads in our, in our city's history, in our country's history, and it's really time for us to honor those that we have historically left behind. Um, I think there's, you know, really a, a moral and a political imperative for us to, to commit to a new social contract that recognizes our collective interdependence and, and really orients our policies towards prioritizing everybody's ability to live in dignity. Um, that being said, I, you know, I think it's important for us to recognize that very often in the, in the history um, of our city, you know, we talk about an austerity uh, economy or when we start talking about um, issues with the budget, it's very often been just a signal to the poor that they need to prepare to shoulder even more of the burden than they have already disproportionately borne. Um, and, and, you know, that for too long we've been, we've been disinvesting from essentially what I consider to be the heart and soul of our city. Um, so my platform, my entire platform is premised on the notion of moving away from what has historically been a carceral economy that criminalizes, surveils, and punishes poor people and black and brown communities and move towards a community, a, a care economy that really prioritizes uh, human services and, and the care you know, of, our, of our community members by elevating those who provide care in our society, whether that's childcare or elder care, long-term care, disability, home care. Um, and that includes the idea of creating a workforce um, that provides opportunities um, for those folks, as well as uh, building out a sustainable labor market, um, involves the idea of investing in a public infrastructure um, and really beginning to address our failing infrastructure while providing jobs and training to the community. Um, and that includes the, the idea of, of, pub, of, of pursuing public banking for our city um, to really support and strengthen our local economy, uh, investing and expanding in small and mid-sized businesses uh, business opportunities, including expansion of, of micro economies and worker owned cooperatives and urban agriculture. Um, you know, I, I don't think that this is a time for us to divest further from our communities. I think we need to um, reorient our priorities and really recognize that this is a moment for us to invest and grow, but to make choices to do that in a way that is vastly and transformatively different from some of the choices that we have made historically. Um, This is not a time to to shy away and and tighten the purse strings. This is actually a time for us to invest. So I understand. So you walk in the job, because listen, you've run a small nonprofit, you have a family. At the the beginning, middle of the end of the day, you got to figure out where the money comes from and the bills have to get paid. Um, New York City has a balanced budget requirement. So let's start before getting to the new programs, you walk in that first day, your budget director says, we got a $5 billion problem. What are we going to do? 
Yep. Um, and so, uh, great question. I often talk about starting with controlling the things that we can control. Um, and so, you know, I've already called for um, defunding the police by a minimum of $3 billion. Um, I think that that is, uh, you know, consistent with the idea of moving away from a carceral economy and moving towards a care economy. Um, I, I think that also includes, you know, that the whole carceral economy, it, it includes taking a hard look at our corrections budget, at uh, eliminating the special narcotics unit. Um, it means taking a hard look at um, even ACS um, and the district attorney budgets as well. Um, was that beep like for me to stop talking? No, no, that's just, <laughs> no, keep talking. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll keep okay. talking, thanks. Um, thank you. Um, I also think we need to do, you know, I, I would want a, a very deep audit of our, um, you know, of our city budget, right? Including all existing external consulting contracts, um, also looking at um, all of our city agencies and, and those that have been sitting on um, existing vacancies for an extended period of time so that we could recoup um, those dollars. Um, and then I think, you know, really, really uh, working with the, the council and the state uh, legislators in order to push for the Invest in Our New York package. Um, so those are some, you know, those are some of the, the places that I would wanna start in terms so of uh, day one. As you said, PD, $3 billion. Um, before moving on, um, you probably have to do layoffs because it would take time to attract that. How many officers do you think you'd have to lay off to get that three, three billion? So, you know, I, this, this was, I was asked this question just last week. And, you know, so the idea is um, we're not talking about losing jobs. We're talking about creating different jobs, right? So, um, I, you know, I think... Um, what, what we're talking about is creating jobs at, in schools, um, you know, if we're removing uh, NYPD from schools, um, we're talking about investing in mental health services, we're talking about investing in housing. Um, so we are in fact generating and creating jobs with that money in a different way. So, you know, I, I, I haven't done the sort of apples to apples comparison yet. Um, and one there of the will challenges I'm sorry, yeah. one of the challenges, of course, would be that you can't close the budget gap with the $3 billion savings and then spend it in, in another place. You know, each dollar gets to, that's a challenge with all of us. Each dollar gets to spend um, once. But um, so police, correction, other criminal justice, as you said, consulting contracts. Then you have new spending. You have a, mm -hmm. I'll call it a guaranteed minimum support because I heard you last night and you didn't want to call it a basic income and I heard your mm -hmm. explanation. So guaranteed mm -hmm. minimum support of, of mm -hmm. certain people free buses with expanded routes, canceling rent, public jobs program at the MTA. Have you totaled up how much do each of these programs cost? What are your priorities and how much would they cost? Um, so, you know, I think that the most important thing um, at day one of my administration would be that we, we sort of address whatever, wherever we are in terms of this crisis, right? So the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to make sure that we are uh, getting everyone vaccinated and getting everyone access to the, to the vaccine so that we're healthy. Here's, you know, here's my problem with the way we have um, often managed and reacted to things. Um, had we in fact, um, at the beginning of this pandemic, made a conscious decision that we were actually going to, going to invest in allowing people to stay home and paying people to stay home so that they could be safe and secure for a period of time while also um, making sure that our essential workers and frontline workers had the protections that they needed and had the hazard pay that they needed. 
I, my contention is that we would actually have spent a lot less money than we're spending now on the back end as we try to um, recover and deal with the mess that we have created um, by not having the, the, the courage on the front end to make the investments that we needed to make. And an ounce of pre like prevention it. is worth a pound of cure. I'm a believer in that. And so- And, and you've mentioned taxes. You support the Invest mm -hmm. in New York Act which is mostly about state taxes, but it's millionaires tax, Wall Street tax, yeah. capital gains tax, wealth tax. In aggregate, how, how the city's taxes are on $62 billion right, right now. Mm -hmm. How much more would you tax in the city? I mean, how, I, how think that, I, I, I think that we need, to, um, we need to look at folks who are earning above $350,000 um, and we need to significantly um, increase those taxes for those folks as well as, you know, I, I think that, that, that the package of Invest in New York is, um, is something that I support. Um, I think it, it, you know, the, it imposes taxes differently depending on sort of the six, it's the six bills. Right. Um, I'm, I'm a supporter of that. I'm also, I also think we should be looking at property tax and land value tax and doing things differently with, with those um, revenue and sources as well. Would you have any concern that um, people, higher income people would leave the city and take their tax dollars and businesses um, with them? No, I don't actually. Um, people want to be in New York. Um, and I, I just think that's a fear mongering tactic that um, has uh, served, served those folks for too, too well for too long. So we're going to turn to our lightning round if we could, okay? okay. Sure. Um, would you set um, targets on a regular basis for agencies to propose savings, a PEG program? Sure, yes. Would you support a legal requirement that the city deposit money into a rainy day fund each year when the economy is growing? Yes. Um, city now has 20,000 more employees than it did at the beginning of the administration, but down 10,000 um, from its, its peak. Do you think headcount in aggregate should be more or less than it is now? I think it should be less than it is and that that money should go into the community. The budget includes no future raises for city workers. Would you grant raises even though there currently are budget gaps or would you wait until you found a way to pay for them? Um, I would work with labor in order to um, come to a conclusion or come to a, an agreement that was mutually agreeable. And the last, you get to pick a topic and then we'll drive down. Pick, please pick your favorite topic, New York City music, food or sports. Food. <laughs> food. Um, your favorite New York City food? Pizza, dumplings, patties, tostones, mofongo, or street meat? Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, pizza, for sure. We do, we do pizza every Friday at my house. And are you a square or a round fan? A square? Is that a New York question, square around? It's a triangle. No, so it's a no, round. No, no, well, it's a, it's a, it, as a Brooklynite, it's a DeFara Spumoni garden question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We really appreciate you joining us tonight and taking, taking the you. time. I know you're doing a lot of these forums. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to everyone. I appreciate the uh, patience and the grace on the front end, too. Oh, thank you as well. Please stay tuned. We'll have Eric Adams up next. Borough Presidents, great to see you. Great seeing you as well. Am I coming through clear? I'm moving around from location to location. You know, we're all about efficiency here at the CBC, so we're okay. We can see <laughs> you. And you have better lighting than most people have when they're in their houses. I'm just <laughs> um, let me just uh, go over our format today and then we'll jump in. Um, our process, we're going to have 10 minutes together to delve into how you plan to manage the budget. We're going to start with a question, and then you'll have up to four minutes to talk talk about this. And then I'll do some follow-up questions for another four minutes. Then we'll have a two-minute lightning round. 
we're going to hear beeps, which basically just signal to me that we're 30 seconds before the end of each segment. Um, and that'll help keep us on time. Does that sound okay? Yeah, and I always bring my own stopwatch, you know? Oh, I like there you go. I, mine looks just like yours. So let's jump in. <laughs> New York City faces significant fiscal challenges. Additional federal aid will help in the short term, but will not solve the long-term structural problem. The preliminary budget is $1 billion short next year, and we face budget gaps of $5 billion in each of the next three years. And the city and state controllers cite risks saying that those $5 billion gaps may be understated by $1 to $3 billion. So please share with us, how do you plan, plan to manage spending, identify savings, work with labor, and address taxes? And please specify three actions you would take to close those $5 billion recurring gaps. Well, you, you said something at the start that really we must focus on, and you said structurally. Uh, our city is dysfunctional, and we have to acknowledge that. And I'm really the only candidate that's running from, for mayor that was part of a dysfunctional system, and it turned itself around and became functional. And that's the New York City Police Department. During the mid-'80s and early-'90s, uh, crime was really through the roof, uh, 2,000 homicides a year, almost 98,000 robberies, and the equivalent amount of felonious assaults. Uh, I was part of a small team that used data and metrics to finally identify how do you run policing in real time. And we turned around our city and it became a safer place. Businesses grew, uh, people moved here. We saw uh, safety become the prerequisite to prosperity. And we're here again. And we continue to be dysfunctional in every other agency. We operate our city in silos. And due to that, we are inefficient. And inefficiencies will create the inequities and they're structurally in our city. And that's very important for us to understand. Just pouring money into our city is not going to solve the problem. We had a $20 billion increase in the last seven years and our children are still not being educated. 65% of black children are not meeting proficiencies in our school system. Our city is getting dirtier by the day. Crime is increasing. So it's not just dollars. It's how do you create a different mindset in this city? And so there's some, some specific things I'm going to do to deal with the budget, but at the heart of it, I'm going to stop having my cities operate in silos where one agency creates a crisis, another agency responds to the crisis that was created. You see it every day. But going directly to the budget, number one, we could significantly reduce the labor costs uh, by about $1.5 billion, what Mayor Bloomberg did through attrition, uh, not replacing, uh, retiring or resigning non-essential city workers. Of course, we have to replace those who are essential, but we can do uh, attrition and solve some of that uh, savings up to about $1.5 billion. Second, we have to run our agencies better. Uh, I believe we could get two to $3 billion by reducing uh, agencies spending three to 5% in every agency across the board uh, by doing uh, the PEG program, the program to eliminate the gap. Next, we need a modest increase, what I called a recovery share. I'm going to go to my $5 million a year or more and ask them, we need you right now, two to three years enough to get us over this difficult time of doing a tax increase to those $5 million or more high income earners. And after it, 
for two to three years, allow it to sunset because we don't want to run out our high income earners. You know, and I know 65,000 people pay uh, 51% of our taxes and they're just 2% of our tax filers. We need them here in the city. I don't share the belief that uh, let them go. No, I want them here and we're going to make the city safe in the process. Next, we can save about uh, another 500,000, 400,000 in overtime by running a, a more efficient police department. I'm also going to appoint an efficiencies are someone that's going to look at every contract over $10 million. We can go into these agencies, everything from cell phone contracts to insurance contracts. We have not re-examined all of the various contracts we have for goods and services. And we're going to change the procurement mindset. We need to be recycling that $25 billion that we do in procurement. We want it here in the city of New York instead of outside our city by looking at best value and not just lowest co lower, lower cost. And Thanks. then- Oh, I'm sorry. Um, can I just de delve into a couple of things you mentioned? Would that be okay? Yes, yes it is. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned the PEG program and the attrition program. Is that on top of each other? Or is that the same? Is the uh, attrition part of the way you get to the PEGs? Uh, no, nope, not at all. Okay, the, the PEG and attrition is too different. Uh, going Thank you. you mentioned about the temporary tax on um, fathers earning over um, $5 billion, um, five, uh, $5 million a year. Sorry, sorry. Um, $5 million a year. Now, they currently pay around $3 billion of taxes. So you're talking about a one-third to two-thirds increase. Um, are you are you concerned at all, given that people have been running their businesses successfully out of New York for the last um, 11 months, that this would um, risk those um, residents, high-income earners, to leave the city permanently and take some tax dollars with them? Yes, I am concerned. But when I speak with my high income earners and sit down and communicate with them, this is what they're telling me. They say, Eric, our city no longer feels safe. Our city is no longer feeling clean. The quality of life. We have to get our restaurants, our museums. We have to get back operating. I find our high income earners don't mind paying the taxes if they see the services. And we're not showing them that now. And I'm going to show them how we can run the city, that they're not wasting their tax dollars. So you talked about how to close the gap, talked about the taxes side. You also have proposals for uh, fully... Uh, full year school year, year-round summer youth employment, um, incentives for life sci sciences, um, an EITC expansion, tax-free Tuesdays. How much are all these going to cost? Or pick one or two of them. How much does tax-free Tuesdays cost? Or how much was full year school full year school year cost? And how are we going to pay for those um, activities? Those think programs? about this for a moment. Let's go with the full year school year because that's important to me. When you look at the heart of the dysfunctionality of our city, it's the Department of Education. We keep producing broken children that turn into broken adults and live in a broken system. 80% of the men and women at Rikers Island don't have a high school diploma or equivalency diploma. 30% are reported based on one study to be dyslexic. Because we're not doing what we should be doing and educating, we find ourselves putting young people in a place of being incarcerated. That must change. And so if you do a full year school year by using the new technology of remote learning, you don't need children to be in a school building 
with a number of teachers is just the opposite. You could have one great teacher that's in one of our specialized high schools to teach three to 400 students who are struggling in math with the skillful way that they're able to teach. Let's look at our best master teachers and have them have programs where they're no longer being uh, just within a school building. We no longer have to live within the boundaries of walls and locations. We can now have a different method of teaching and I'm going to have the best remote learning that we could possibly have, not just turning on the screen and having children look at someone really being engaged. And when you look at uh, some of the uh, other entities that you mentioned, such as the Tax-Free Tuesdays, we have to start taxing social media. Netflix and others, uh, they're hurting our movie industry where people walk into a movie theater. If we start going after of those entities and compelling them to pay their fair share of taxes. We have allowed social media to get away with the taxes that they should be paying. That's why I'm teaming up with Senator Gennadis to look at a data tax. And I was happy to see the financial chair, Liz Kruger, introduce the bill because we're finally saying it's time for social media to now pay their share of data taxes and other taxes that they're not paying in the cities. And would that be a city tax and how much revenue would you get for the city for that? Well, it, it would be, it's a bill that must be passed uh, through the these uh, state lawmakers, but you, you're looking at anywhere from uh, t- uh, 25 to $30 million that we believe, anywhere from 50 to $100 million that we believe that we can get from having a real data tax. Okay, right now, we get nothing from that. Thank you very much. Um, let's jump to our lightning round, if, we, if, I, if I may. Um, yes. You've talked about a PEG program. Please remind us that you do a regular PEG program. What would be the size again, you said? Uh, three to 5% annually. And would you support a legal requirement that the city deposit money into a rainy day fund each year when the economy is growing? Without a doubt. That was a big mistake we made. And I was going to ask if, if you think the headcount should go up or down from where it is now. You said down. How much should it, it decline from where we are now through your attrition program? Well, if you do a real analysis based on the number of employees that leave government uh, annually, we're not rehiring unless they are essential employees until we could right size uh, the current workforce that we saw almost a 350,000 increase under this administration. Uh, I think that we need to find the right size to run the city. And for our last topic, you get to choose a topic and I'll ask a question. Your, please choose a topic about New York City music, food or sports. Uh, I, I, I'll go with music. <laughs> You're going to go with music. You're our first go with music. Your favorite 1970s New York City music, disco, punk or hip hop? Uh, probably disco. I still, re- I still remember Donna Summers and dancing uh, to a lot of her tunes. Uh, you know, one of one any one of Donna Summers' uh, music. I remember Studio Fifty Four. I'm aging myself. <laughs> okay, there you. Hey, you know, we're all we all are there and get there. Thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Take care. And please stay tuned for our next candidate, um, Ray McGuire. Thanks. Ray McGuire, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Let me get this in place. Tell me when you're ready and I'll, I'll go through kind of the, the format and then jump into it. Are you ready? I'm ready, I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, just a refresher, um, the format, we're gonna spend 10 minutes together talking about how you plan to manage the budget. I'll ask an open-ended question. You'll describe for four minutes. Then I'll ask some follow-up questions for four minutes. And then we'll do a two minute lightning round. Um, we're gonna try to keep to time. So you'll hear beeps and that just signals me that we should start to wrap up and move into the next segment. Sound good? Sure. Okay, so the quest, first question is, New York City faces significant fiscal challenges. Additional federal aid will help in the short term, but won't solve the long-term structural problem. The city's preliminary budget is $1 billion short next year, and we have recurring $5 billion gaps in the years following that. And the city and state controllers just yesterday came out and said that those gaps might be understated by one to $3 billion. So please tell us, how do you plan to manage spending, identify savings, work with labor and address taxes? And please be specific on three actions that you would take to close that $5 billion recurring gap. So uh, number one, thank you for having me. Number two, the answer to this is the most important thing is to stabilize the finances and stop the decline and in the city and get businesses back to work uh, as quickly as we can. I wanna start sooner than the independent budget office has calculated we return and uh, that is in 2024. I wanna be clear, have, having managed as many budgets as I've managed when I recognize and I've managed these budgets from the depth of the financial crisis, we can neither tax nor cut our way out of the current financial situation. We need to grow our way out of this. We're down circa $2 billion or so in property tax revenue. Income taxes only account for 14% of the revenue. So tax increases not gonna, it will not get us there. We've increased the run rate of expenses by $12 billion in four years. That may be a way for us to take a look at it. My plan is to grow our way out of this. And that is my comeback plan, which is gonna focus on 500,000 jobs, go big, go small, go forward. Uh, focus primarily on small businesses. Small businesses have been the lifeblood to the city where I've identified what I call a comeback accelerator plan, which gives wage subsidies of 50,000 small businesses. We'll pay 50% of the workers' salary for one year. By jumpstarting the economy, it's gonna cost me 900 plus million dollars over two, over two budget years, which I can pay for by using existing federal and state funds that are dedicated shared work programs, as well as a portion of the federal relief funds. The other thing I'm gonna do is negotiate to see if I can have the small businesses keep a portion of the sales tax for one year. Then I'm gonna have a comeback bank initiative, which is gonna supplement the city support with capital that can be used for grants and, and equity. And then I'm gonna also allow the city permits and licenses to renew for the next 12 months without any fees. We have to manage this as an issue for long haul rather than just response to the immediate crisis. And uh, the other thing is, is the budget needs to be, you know, by 2022 beyond we're facing a four plus billion dollar deficit without addressing the pension fund and other employment benefit liabilities, not to mention need for new education programs and rental assistance. So I will surround myself with people who understand PEG, which is one of the ways I'm gonna go about this. I look at the $12 billion that we've onboarded. So program to eliminate the gap, we'll do that. Uh, we, we attrite 22,000 people a year. That's one of the ways we're going to do is manage a growth in headcount. I need to increase capital spending in the short run so that we can boost jobs. I also need to bring on public-private partnerships. Finally, as we know, the state, can, we contribute, the state contributes $26 billion in, in the balance of trade between ourselves and the federal government. So I'm going to access some of the federal stimulus package, access some of the state uh, stimulus package, and also make certain that we focus on what's been allocated so far. Federal aid, I've talked about a little bit. Uh, we need to get new, new initiatives here through the reduction of some of the existing plans. And my priorities, we'll be looking forward to fund 
uh, I need to look at the existing spending that is not providing benefit. For example, how I go fund uh, zero to four, which is zero to three is my affordable chair for all. So I need to increase services. And one of the ways I'm gonna look at it, I'm gonna look at uh, Thrive for New York. I can get circa hundred million dollars or so. Uh, I can look at what we're doing with attrition, which is gonna get me a sort of a billion to two billion or so. And I'm gonna look at you know, all the other programs that are outstanding where I can get, you know, through PEG and through that $12 billion increase, I can probably get a billion and a half to two to $3 billion out of that. But I cannot, I cannot either cut nor tax my way out of this. And one of the challenges um, with growth is it takes time, no matter how much you prime the pump. Of course, you walk in January 1st, you have a $5 billion budget a gap in the budget that's starting in six months. There's a projection for that year of tax increase of 4.2%. Um, we know that the property taxes have been um, reprojected lower, so that's very significant. But how, how much do you think growth could you get in that first year? Because obviously, you know, each, each, um, you know, each, each billion dollars rep represents, um, you know, a couple of uh, point and a half of growth. How, how much growth are you going to get to close that first billion, um, that first $5 billion budget gap? That's you know, going to take a while. I'll, I'll go through PEG and I should uh, through PEG and mandate uh, metrics that we need to do to get through for PEG to be applied to just beginning with that $12 billion increase that we've had in, in run rate expenses four years. Like, you know, apply, you know, a number there that's going to get me to, I don't know, probably being and a half, $2 billion, if not more, just through being more efficient. I look at what we've done in some of the departments where we've increased, I don't know, for the past five or six years, $1.2 billion in the, in the police budget. So there are ways to go through and be more efficient, but I can't cut my way through the four plus four plus $4 billion budget gap deficit that's been, that's, uh, that's been outlined. And I look at where we are on property taxes, which, which represent 50% of the revenue base, and they're down 20%, and income taxes only get me 14%. I know I can't cut my way out of this. So I can make some make some progress through being more efficient, but I got to grow. The only way you're getting out of this is to grow, which means public-private partnerships, which means infrastructure projects, which means focusing on the small businesses, which I've outlined, and which means making certain that we bring the private sector in where appropriate to help us build. Now, uh, somewhere along the line, I believe you supported a millionaire's tax of some kind, but I'm not sure if you've been specific. How much would you increase taxes on people earning over a million dollars? You know, I need to go take a look at that because it also comes down to, there's a, there's a contract here, right? The contract is, if you give me a quality of life, I'm prepared. Those who have the resources are prepared to invest more, including increase in taxes, but just take a look at this. We've gone through assault. We've gone through COVID. The threat that is now on people's lives is now pretty significant. We've seen a migration out. So while I can go and have a conversation with the high tax, with, with the high income and the high tax payers, I got to be really delicate about how I balance this. So yes, we're all going to have to pay a little bit more, but I also have to make certain that the streets are safer and that there's quality of life. Um. On the spending side, um, over 50% of the budget is compensation for the workforce, you know, salaries, benefits and the like. And there are actually a billion dollars of labor savings included in the, in the budget. Is it a top tier or kind of a lower priority um, um, 
lower priority for you to work with labor to identify savings? And if it's a top tier, how would you work with labor? Because your experience has probably been a little different in the private sector. Well, you know, well, the experience has been different only and so that I have a different constituent. I've worked with varying constituents over my years of having negotiated budgets. Remember, these budgets are often bigger than state budgets, revenue base of 20 plus billion dollars. So I would make sure that I would work with labor. That's an important, uh, they're an important constituent here. Remember in the 70s, business, labor, and government came together. Labor bought the bonds. I would expect to have the same kind of partnership with labor going forward as we all recognize that the deficit that we are experiencing here is going to be significant. The other thing that labor needs to understand, which I think they do, is there's been a 15% reduction in, in, uh, in, in construction. We had at our peak $60 billion, $60 billion business. And today that's projected looking at the last congressional uh, uh, construction Congress, looking at their outlook, that number is going to be pretty significant. So I'm looking into the pipeline in the third and fourth quarter. I don't see cranes in the air. I don't see shovels in the ground. So we all will have to come together and, and do whatever we can to negotiate a win-win. So yes, labor and the relationship with labor will be key. And so let's, if we can, move to our lightning round. Sure. Um, um, could you share three words with our audience on why they should elect you to raise and manage their $95 billion? Uh, you should elect me because I have the- uh, Three words, sorry. Oh, oh, three, uh, leadership, credibility, track record. Thanks, I don't know about hyphens, but I'll take track record, thank you. You've set a peg, do you have a percentage that you would um, put on that peg when you went to the agencies? You know, I just gotta be, I gotta be pretty aggressive here. So I would say somewhere in the 5% range. Would you support a legal requirement that the city deposit money into a rainy day fund each year when the economy is growing? Absolutely, yes. Um, we have 20,000 more employees than we did at the uh, beginning of this administration, but we're down 10,000 employees. From what I understand, you think from here, we should reduce employment more, headcount more? I think everything's got to be on the table and I'd look at attrition and I would probably make certain that we manage attrition as aggressively as we could, given um, the increase that we've incurred over the past five or seven years. The budget includes no future raises for city workers. Would you grant those raises even though there currently are gaps or wait until you found a way to fund, fund them? I'd find fun. You don't spend what you don't have. I, you know, I throw nickels around like manhole covers. Which would you enjoy more, three mayoral forums in one day or two hour line by line budget briefing by your budget director and staff? Uh, I would prefer the budget briefing. Please now for our last question, choose a topic, New York City, music, food, or sports? Mm, give, me, give me food. I'll go food it is. Time. Your favorite New York City food, pizza, dumplings, patties, tostones, mofongo, or street meat? I'd go with the pizza. Okay, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you spending the time. I know you guys are doing a lot of these, so appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you all and all the work that you do. Thank you very much. Please stay tuned for our next uh, candidate, Scott Stringer. Controller Stringer, it's good to see you. It is good to see you, Andrew. How have you been? I've been well, and you? I I'm doing all right. Good Fantastic. Why don't I just uh, re refresh your memory on our format today and jump into it. Um, we're going to spend, you know, CBC is all about efficiency. So we're going to spend 10 minutes talking about how you would plan to manage the budget. We'll start with, I'll, I'll ask a question, you'll have up to four minutes to answer. I'll ask some follow-up questions for four minutes. We'll have a two-minute 
lightning round, and we'll hear a beep around 30 seconds before the end of each segment, signaling to me that uh, we should we should move along a little. Sound good? You want me to open it up? Well, I'm going to open up with a question, frame it a little um, okay. for, for you. I might, even, I might even mention your work. So New York City faces a significant fiscal, significant fiscal challenges. Additional federal aid would help in the short term, will help in the short term, but will not solve the long-term structural gap. The city preliminary budget is $1 billion short next year, and the city faces recurring gaps exceeding $5 billion each in the next three years. And your office and, and the, the state controller's office has said that there are risks that might mean that's you know, $1 to $3 billion um, even greater than that. So how would you, please share with us how you plan to manage spending, identify savings, work with labor and address taxes, and please be specific about three actions you would take to close that recurring $5 billion gap. Okay, well, let's see where we should start. Um, first of all, you know, I, I do think, just to give you a sense of the economic uh, overview that we've been talking about, you know, pre-COVID, we saw uh, unemployment at 3.4%. We had added 970,000 jobs to the economy over 10 years. And once COVID hit, the unemployment rate went from 3.4% to 20%. And those 970,000 jobs, we lost 900,000 uh, in 30 days. And our economic recovery has slowed and job growth is turning negative, especially in the last couple of months. We should be aware that small businesses are still struggling. There's 30% fewer businesses open today than before the pandemic, and their revenues right now are down 50%. And so I want to use my 30 years of government experience as an assembly member, as borough president, especially as controller, to bring this economy back to life. And the way we do it is by making sure that we have a short-term and a long-term vision for how we bring the city back. And that's why I'm running for mayor, and I'll be happy to specifically answer your questions one at a time. So please, so you walk in the first day and, and your budget director says, we got 5 billion of stimulus, but the past administration's already spent 4 billion. So you got a billion now, and now you have another $4 billion gap coming up and you have this all these list of programs, the Green New Deal for public housing, bus service, six minutes, um, um, free community colleges. How are you gonna close that budget gap? What are the specific directions you would give to your budget director to, to close that, that $5 billion? Well, first of all, we have a proposed balanced budget, right? Uh, and part of what we're going to have going forward is what I estimate if Congress holds about $5.6 billion. Now, you know, with stimulus money, you know, that's temporary money. That's not for the long term. But that stimulus, that $5.6 billion could be extended at least a year, maybe two or three budget cycles. So step one, we have a balanced budget today. And the reason we have a balanced budget is because the mayor listened to a lot of the recommendations from the controller's office. I said, if you're gonna balance this budget, we have to draw down on reserves. He did that. We also have to make sure that we look at efficiencies in city agencies. He did that. Uh, we also saw while property taxes fell $2.5 billion, we did see uh, other uh, revenues rise to 2.7 billion. And I believe we will see a balanced budget passed by the city council. Going forward, we are gonna get $5.6 billion. And that is money that we have to use strategically and carefully to deal with some of the structural budget crises. We do have out year budget gaps 
could be four billion, five billion, maybe six billion under a worst case scenario. I do think we can manage those deficits by continuing to do those efficiencies going forward. So I'm, I'm optimistic about where the city can be, but we're going to need real expertise, a mayor who can walk into city hall on day one and not have a meeting with the budget director because on day one, you should already know the budget and the budget plan going through the out-year budget gaps. So how would you find those efficiencies? The, the $1 billion short I, I refer to is the billion dollars of labor savings for which there is no plan. Um, how important is it to work with labor to find efficiencies? And if it is important, what would your strategy be? Well, look, I'll tell you what I did in my office. I mean, I cut 5% of my budget. Uh, is the only elected official in New York City to actually do that. When have you heard of elected officials voluntarily giving back 5%? And I did it. Uh, the way we should do it in city agencies. First, I looked at the outside contracts that weren't necessary in the office. I looked at contracts that were not being fulfilled. I looked at different efficiencies, what we need or don't need. I didn't have to lay off one person. I wouldn't do that. And I didn't reduce the work of the controller's office. In fact, we can, can continue to look at our efficiencies. So I gave that money back. I said to the city agencies, the commissioners and the mayor, going back multiple cycles, that there are outside contracts and there are a whole set of efficiencies that you should look at as an ongoing basis because you never wanna be in the dire situation where a mayor is threatening to lay off city workers, especially frontline workers. The mayor threatened to do that, 34,000 workers he put on the chopping block. And the first thing you do in a pandemic is cut youth, summer youth jobs. I, I as controller said, no way. Let's take an analytical approach to the budget. So in addition to those efficiencies, part of the mayor's savings plan, 40% of the savings plan that was put forth was not just efficiencies within the agencies. The other part of it was the, um, uh, the refinancing of our city debt. I was able to do that working with OMB and the mayor's office. 40% of the savings plan was the work that I did. And we were able to get $800 million as part of our financial package. And this is the kind of work that you have to do on an ongoing basis. And no one in this race for mayor has had to do this kind of financial work with OMB to get us to a balanced budget in the midst of a pandemic. You should also know that one of the successes of the controller's office is we hit our actuarial investment targets. Last year, we hit 14%. And over the span of my work as controller, we now have looked at an uh, actuarial target number of 9%. And that's because of a lot of reforms that we worked on. You and the in the Citizen Budget Commission knows we went from we went we went to uh, one investment meeting with five separate funds working with our union trustees. So there's a lot that goes into being a good financial steward as controller, but that carries on to being mayor of New York City. So you've mentioned a number of new programs you'd want to fund, and I, I, have you totaled up how much it costs to run bus service every six minutes? your Green New Deal for public housing, um, free tuition at CUNY Community Colleges. How much are all these programs going to increase the nut that you have to crack? Well, we can go, we can go one by one. Look, we have a $92.3 billion, $92 billion proposed budget. Uh, budgets are the choices that mayors with approval of the council get to make. So it's about priori prioritizing what you think is best for the city. I do think, for example, when you look at how we're gonna bring New York City's recovery back, 
A lot of the jobs, uh, especially low-wage jobs, may not come back very quickly, if at all. I do think we have to upskill the workforce in this city, older people and younger people. I do want to provide free two-year community college and a workforce development plan within those colleges because we can get people ready for what is the potential new economy of the city, telehealth. IT work. In fact, you don't even need a two-year degree to be successful in these fields. You just need what's called micro-credentialing. So let's prepare the next generation of this workforce to step into those jobs. That $160 million will have a multiplier effect for the city if we implement it correctly. Can we quickly turn to taxes since you um, supported the investment in New York um, Act, which includes income, capital gains, heirs, corporate financial transaction tax. As you know, our, we tax $60 billion in the city. Would you increase taxes, which taxes, and how much in aggregate just on a dollar value? Look, I, I think that there's a couple of things to realize here, and I said this in my budget presentation. While I think in the short term we're seeing balanced budgets, I do think we have manageable budget gaps that through efficiencies and working with the labor unions just on you know a, a retirement incentive that labor would support i do think we can get to a good place but let's really think about the kind of new york we want uh, we don't want a new york economy like the old economy we want to continue to bring the city back differently to invest in communities hit hardest by covid to think about ways that we can transform our city so that we continue to be a magnet for new immigrants around the world. We do need to build low income housing. We have a, a, a homeless crisis where we have thrown money at the homeless crisis without solving the homeless crisis. We went from spending $1.6 billion on homelessness seven years ago to 3.2 billion. And tonight a record number of people are sleeping in shelters. So Andrew, we have to make the choice about how we raise revenue, asking people of great wealth to pay more to create a city that we all want to live in. Frontline workers made the ultimate sacrifice. We need to make sure that people who can give more, give more for the city. And that is going to be able to realize some amazing work. Maybe it's free tuition for CUNY. But more importantly, I want to make sure we can triple the number of childcare slots so that every parent can go back into the workforce. There's a lot that we can do, and we're going to have to go to Albany and ask the legislature to raise those revenues as well. So we're going to move to our lightning round. Um, but I'm going to add a, a special question just to follow up on my last, which is in aggregate, what would the number be on the new taxes? How many billion? I, it really remains to be seen. Uh, I would say we should be robust in our thinking. We should take a look at this tax package as I support it. And we also have to gear the programmatic work we do with how to pay for it. And that is something that a mayor who's ready on day one will be able to access relationships in Albany to do it. Okay, now real lightning. Uh, would you set targets on a regular basis for your PEG program? What would those targets be? Look, I, I testified, if I can, I I'll say this quickly. I testified at the city council and said, save more, save more. Uh, in good times, you got to save because you never know what's going to come your way. No one really was listening. Everyone was spending. And here's what we found ourselves in, uh, a COVID pandemic where the economy blew up. So I think we should continue to have reoccurring savings. We always should be looking at outside consulting okay. practices. I'm going to interrupt. Would you support a legal requirement that the city deposit money into a rainy day fund each year when the economy is growing? Yes. 
do you think the city headcount should be greater or smaller than it is now? I think we're at a good place where it is now. I don't think the issue is trying to put more people on the unemployment line. I think we can find those consulting contracts and the egregious waste of spending in places like DOE administration and the like. And for the last question, you get to choose a topic, New York City music, food, or sports? Sports for $250 in matching funds. There you go. There you go. Um, more exciting, Lynn Sanity or John Starks? Uh, the New York Knicks. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much, uh, Controller Stringer. We really appreciate you taking this time. Today. Thank you, Andrew. Take care. And please stay tuned for Sean Donovan, our next candidate coming up. Sean, thanks for being here. Mr. Ryan, good to see you. It's good to see you. I appreciate the, the, the moniker of respect with the mister. I appreciate it. Um, so why don't I just go through our format first quickly, and then we can jump into just as a refresher. Our process, we're very efficient here at the CBC. We'll spend around 10 minutes talking about how you plan to manage the budget. I'll ask you an opening question. You'll have up to four minutes to answer it. I'll ask some follow-up questions for four minutes, and then we'll have a two-minute lightning round. Um, and we'll hear some beeps around 30 seconds before so don't get distracted between uh, before they end 30 seconds so to keep us on time. Sound good? Sounds great. Okay, so the opening question. New York City faces a significant fiscal crisis. Additional federal aid would help in the short term, but will not solve the long-term structural problems. The city next year has is a billion, but it is a billion dollars short, um, and we have recurring gaps of five billion dollars in the subsequent three years. And just yesterday, the city and state controller said that those there are risks that it could increase those recurring gaps one to three billion dollars a year. So please share with us how do you plan to manage spending, identify savings, work with labor, and and address taxes. And please be specific about three actions you would take to close that five billion dollar recurring gap. Thank you, Andy. And um, look, I think we need to do three big things in the city at this moment. One is we need a mayor who can get us the help we deserve from Washington, D.C. Uh, there is nobody better positioned to do that. And I don't just mean direct federal aid to state and local governments, but I also mean the transit help, the unemployment assistance, all of the things that come directly to government, our school assistance, but as well as inject money into our economy. And I've been creative about that. I've actually been working with the incoming Biden administration to get FEMA money into our restaurants to help put workers back to work and to boost our tax revenues as well. So there are many, many ways beyond the ways that other candidates are looking at that we can bring federal aid to this, to this city. Second, we need immediate steps, a hiring freeze, labor savings via attrition, and non-essential uh, for non-essential positions and potentially new revenues that would come from creative sources, not just congestion pricing, but value capture. And I am open to a temporary surcharge, for example, on the highest income earners. Uh, but we also need a longer term strategy that reimagines and reinvents how city government functions, but also real, really gets to the fundamental inequities in our income and property tax systems, but also in our city more broadly. And I've spoken a lot about that on my campaign, about how we have to make this a city that works for everyone. 
So just to be a little more uh, specific as well, I wanna talk about what we should not be doing, which is what the mayor did last fall. I spoke out, wrote an op-ed about it. We should not be posing a false choice between borrowing and layoffs. I think borrowing should be a last resort, not a first resort. And I believe that we do not need to borrow at this time. And I believe given where we're headed with the federal stimulus package and what's happening in our economy, um, obviously we have many things that we still need to find out about the effectiveness of the vaccines, how quickly our economy recovers. But I think uh, borrowing should be a last resort and that we do not need to resort to it at this point. I also don't believe that we need to be talking about large scale layoffs at this point. I've been clear that we do need a hiring freeze. We need to be working aggressively on attrition, um, but I do not believe that we need to go as far as layoffs at this point. Let me just say a couple other words if I have a little bit of time. I haven't heard that beep yet. So there you go. Um, specifically on tax reform, um, I believe it is a mistake to think that we can tax our way out of this crisis. I do support, as I said earlier, uh, some increases and uh, particularly short term that would help get us through this crisis. But I think we should be under we should understand that we already have one of the most progressive income tax systems uh, in the country. I am open to thinking about additional tiers there. But we should be looking at our property tax system, which is actually the most regressive tax in the city, and looking not just at a, uh, at a tear tax, but at more fundamental reform in the property tax system. Lastly, I would say to achieve greater equity, um, but also to bring the economy back, we should understand that what we need to keep investing in is quality of life. Um, we need to make sure, because I fundamentally believe in this economy, talent decides where, where to live and companies and capital follow. We need to be investing in quality of life that ensures that we grow our economy. Um, and we need to be looking for real savings in things like homelessness and criminal justice that could actually not just save money, but also ensure the systems achieve greater equity in the long run. So those are a number of other ideas as well. Thank you, thank you. Let's delve into some, but first a little math. You got $5 billion. You talked about DC, hiring freeze and attrition and revenues value capture and maybe a temporary surcharge. How do you allocate the $5 billion among those three in your first year as you walk in? Sorry, I'm not understanding your math. Five, five billion- Well, you have a $5 billion gap. Yeah. Your first year and your budget director comes to you and says, what are your priorities? How are you going to fill it? And you talk about, I'm going to get money from DC, I'm going to hire a hiring freeze, and I'm going to get some new revenues. How does that $5 billion allocate between those three buckets? So I believe that we, and again, we have to see where the package comes out, that we could fill the vast majority of that from the federal government. Obviously, in the, we in the first year. Yes, uh, in the first year. Um, I think there is the potential for multi-year in a number of these other areas as well, and specifically around transportation I, uh, and schools, there may be other uh, opportunities there. I don't think we'll get state and local aid over a multi-year uh, basis, but those are clearly things that I would look at. Um, I also believe that we could, as I said earlier, find other creative ways to bring in uh, resources through FEMA aid and other things that are creating serious gaps in our in our city budget 
uh, right now. So I think those are multi-year opportunities, not just one-year opportunities. Then on the flip side, you have, you know, there's, there, you know, campaigns are about vision and promises and budget. There's nothing more real than budgeting. So you've talked about the child equity bond that you uh, estimate will cost 3.2 billion in the first year, and I think 1.9 billion thereafter, and also job housing, job training for incarcerated individuals, doubling summer youth employment, hiring new social workers. Let's just go for the child equity bond. Um, how would you fund that? Since of course you're still um, closing this budget gap, adding another 3.2 seems like a big lift. Yeah, so to be clear, my proposal is based on what I hope would be, and certainly I would work, work effectively with Congress to do this, a baby bonds proposal that would fund the portion of it that goes to any new child born in the city. And so what would fall to city, uh, the city is specifically the piece that would go to our existing students. So those who are already born, already in our public schools, that is a, about one third of that amount. And my plan is to raise that dollar for dollar between city funding and between philanthropy. So I would look to bring private donations in for about half of that uh, city cost. That gets you down uh, uh, in the range of about $500 million a year, we believe. And I think that is certainly something we could absorb uh, out of the, the city budget. Now, you've talked about the MTA, and it's an interesting proposal, so I want to raise it here. And it kind of says that um, you want to increase the city funds to the MTA, take more financial obligation, in trade for board seats. Yep. How much is a board seat worth? How much do you pay and what do you get for it? <laughs> well, I guess I'm not thinking about it in quite those mercenary terms, <laughs> Andrew, but um, what I would say is, I believe congestion pricing is obviously a huge opportunity. And I believe we can uh, bring uh, revenue there. I also believe we need to be looking aggressively at value capture opportunities. You'll remember that in the Bloomberg administration, we funded the, the extension of the number seven line through revenues from the development that was, uh, was happening. And I'm, I'm encouraged that while we've seen a decline in development, we do still see a significant uh, uh, amount of development that is happening in the city. And I think the primary source, in addition to congestion pricing that we could look to there is from value capture that would allow us to invest uh, more capital in the city's uh, transportation system. Well, thank you. And we're gonna turn to our lightning round as if the other rounds weren't fast enough. Um, um, would you set targets on a regular basis um, for pegs and how big would those targets be? Um, in my own experience, and as you know, I was uh, federal budget director, but I was also on the receiving end of peg target targets as a commissioner. Generally, I think between three and 10% and to have multiple tiers of them so that uh, we have break glass scenarios if we need them for agencies. Would you support a legal requirement that the city deposit money into a rainy day fund each year when the economy is growing? Yes. Um, city has 20,000 more workers than at the beginning, employees than at the beginning of this administration, but it's down 10,000 from its peak. Do you think it should go um, higher or lower at this point? Lower. I think, as I said earlier, it can be achieved through attrition and uh, managing that effectively. The budget includes no future raises for city workers currently. Would you grant raises even though there are current gaps or would you wait until you found a way to pay for them? I would grant raises in, in exchange for being, achieve, uh, being able to achieve other kinds of savings in contracts. 
I think consolidation of benefit funds, uh, prescription drug costs. I've laid out many different ways. I think working together with our unions, we could achieve savings. And that's how I would fund those increases. Two more questions. One, I can't help, but which, which would you enjoy more? Three mayoral forums in a night or a two hour line by line budget briefing by the, your budget director and staff? I'm gonna show myself to be a real budget wonk here. Uh, how about this? I'll take three budget briefings if they're all with CBC. Please, for the last, choose a topic, New York City music, food, or sports? Food. Food, your favorite New York City food, pizza, dumplings, patties, tostones, mofongo, or street meat? I'd have to say mofongo. Okay, we have two tonight for Mofongo. Oh, really? So thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, being here um, and taking your time because I know you're doing a lot of these. Thank you, Andrew. And let me just say, if it isn't clear, I would love to have your support. And I believe I'm the only candidate that hasn't just talked the talk on this, but actually walked the walk as budget director. As you know, we faced the biggest budget deficit since World War II. By the time we left office, we'd reduced it faster than any time since World War II and actually got big things done. So we can do that too in New York. Thank you for joining us and have a great evening. So I really appreciate it. We had um, between three and 400 people, around 400 people joining us tonight. I hope that you all found it um, informative and helpful in making your decision when you go to vote. And please, if you're interested in these subjects, you wanna learn more, please go to cbcny.org to learn more about the city's finances, about the state's finances, and other issues like NYCHA, health and hospitals, and the MTA. Um, again, we thank the candidates for participating, and we thank their staffs for helping. We thank all of you for joining. We also want to thank the press for all they're doing to inform the public on, on the issues in the debate. Thank the CBC trustees for supporting us in all of our work. And of course, our staff, especially Kevin, Sam, Natalie, Heather, and Anna. And we hope all of you have a wonderful evening. Take care. Thank you.